Um, I've got so much going around in my head ever since I've sort of hit upon this subject, and apologies, I'm a bit of a spaghetti head, and I hope that my talk doesn't come across too all over the place. Uh, and I'll try and keep on script as well, one of the very important things I was uh, encouraged to do. Um, first thought, though, that's the first time I think I've ever sung um, that supplementary verse or whatever of um, Waymaker. Even when I can't see you're working, or even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. Our world feels like a place where God is absent, God is not working at the moment. But be encouraged by the words of that song and say it really struck me and I'm sure it was God's plan that that should be in there this time for the first time. Um, when Graham first prepared this series and was you know, on, the, on the commands of Jesus and was allocating service leaders and worship leaders and so on, I think I was down for two speaking gigs. Um, one struck me as being right up my street. Uh, I don't recall which it was. It was either love your neighbour as yourself or love one another. And I thought, easy peasy, I've got that. This is me through and through. Uh, I didn't end up with that one. It's funny how God does this to you, isn't it? Um, he sort of encourages us, encourages, to rely on him in our weakness. Have you ever been in that place? Maybe you're in it now. The truth is, I'm all too often in that place um, because I have an uncanny knack of leaning on my own understanding, just as Proverbs advise me not to. Um, so God has very patiently had to resort to some gentle encouragement all too frequently with me to rely on him. And I have to confess that James's um, talk last week and him grappling with deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, that was a tough talk. It was a tough message and I understand why you struggled with that. But I think go into all the world and preach the gospel comes a pretty close second. For me, anyway. Um, now, of course, I won't and can't speak for James, but what I mean by that is, this is a tough teaching and a command that I really don't want to obey. One I'd like the wiggle room to wriggle out of. I've not got a problem with the go into the world bit, you know, like that. In fact, a couple of our leaders are on mission at the moment, I think. They like going into the world as well. It's that I'm commanded to preach the gospel. As you know from a previous talk, Wendy, catch up on the, the listen again, I can recommend it. Um, I'm not a preacher. A talker, certainly. In fact, some people say I'm in the world's first 11 when it comes to talking. Um, speaking also, I can do that quite well. Sharing's just fine. And even singing in a sermon, which for some people would be, oh my God, you cannot be serious. 
Yeah, I'm okay with that as well. I can live with that. But one thing for sure I am not is a preacher. I'm not even son of a preacher, man. Boom! Okay. Um, what is it about the word preach that sends us into a cold sweat? I've got a few ideas from my point of view. Firstly, for me certainly, if someone tells me I'm preaching at them, it's an insult. A clear telling off that I'm hectoring and badgering them and an absolute dead cert that I'm having the opposite effect of the one I'm hoping for. Anyone who is or has been a parent of any child beyond the age of two knows that the surefire way to fail to get them to do what you want them to do for their own benefit is to tell them what you want them to do. By the way, we all know that characteristic stays with us as children until we're at least 89. <laughs> um, secondly, about that word preach, is it that we're, if we are ever caught preaching, there shortly follows the reminder from our victim, I, I mean our, our happy and rapt audience, that we should practice what we preach. <laughs> and guess what? If you're anything like me, you're rather better at the preaching than the practice. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. For parents, this is the point at which you say, do as I say, not as I do. That's tip number two from the book of Brilliant Parenting by Mark Triggs. <laughs> not. <laughs> Particularly, make sure Shani and, da uh, Shani and Tom are not doing that, Dan, okay? Um, thirdly, is it that God didn't call us to a preaching ministry? He didn't call me to a preaching ministry. Oh, no. This time, two years ago, we were in a series um, on the special gifts that Christ gave to the church. Um, and from Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, I'll read, there were five in all. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Great. God has gifted really special people to be evangelists and teachers. I mean, just look, there are the likes of the two Grahams. There's Graham Clark, and there's Billy Graham, you know. <laughs> so, we don't need to do this. Just leave it to them. They're really good at it. They love doing it too. And it's just not my bag. I'm rubbish at it, and it won't work. Which is actually code for I'm scared, there's a huge potential for me getting embarrassed, and I just don't want to do it. Okay? Okay, God? I just don't want to do it. Go away, leave me alone. Only me. <laughs> Only me? <laughs> But here it is, in this passage, clear as day, and I'm not going to do the context bit and save me from myself, or indeed the world, from my preaching. Um, I'm not quite clear, and it seems scholars, far more erudite than me, are not quite clear, whether in this passage, just before Jesus ascended into heaven, whether he was speaking to the remaining 11 disciples, this timid, sort of, you know, bowed, bunch of scared and mortal men or whatever, or whether in fact it was the 500 brethren. It's immaterial, to be honest. Um, 
Let me remind you what the disciples did before they hooked up with Jesus. At least five of them and probably seven. We're not told a huge amount about them, actually. Um, But at least five of them and probably seven were fishermen. Fishermen. Perfect preparation for being a preacher, going out into the world and preaching the gospel. And yet Jesus made those fishermen fishers of men. Philip, Judas, and the other James were apparently probably tradesmen, carpenters, craftsmen, some kind of thing like that. Again, perfect qualification. Better still, Matthew was a despised tax collector. He used to go around extorting money from travellers. Yeah, he's the man. Okay, Simon, had to be Simon, didn't it? Simon was a zealot. But he was a zealot, he was a Jewish zealot. He was loyal, fiercely loyal to Judaism. And here he was being called to preach the gospel of Christ. So just imagine, whether it's the 11, whether it's 500, you're there. You are an actual witness to Jesus giving this very command. How do you react? Probably, like me with my list of excuses, be honest, you'd recoil and find any excuse under the sun for it not to apply to you. A bit like Moses, or Jonah, or Esther, and many, many others down through the Bible. Even Jesus himself, as he was facing crucifixion, said, take this cup from me. But he added, yet not my will, but yours. I just find it mind-blowing. This is the divine audacity of Christianity. Christ was God incarnate. Holy man, he lived on this earth for 33 years, a full 2,000 years ago. His ministry lasted a mere three years, yet in that time, he got absolutely everything done he needed to. It is finished, it is complete. Including the not insignificant matter of his brutal death on the cross, and then his glorious resurrection. And then he left us. Yes, you, me, all we fishermen and carpenters, all we tax collectors and zealots, all we nurses and accountants, teachers and engineers, students, graphic designers, consultants, housewives, company directors, every single one of us here today. He left us to get on with it. So let's get to the rub of this. This command is for me and for you, and we are commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Oh dear. (laughs) But fear not. Um, Let me encourage you a bit. Firstly, God, he promised to build his church. Jesus promised to build his church. And build it he has over the past 2,000 years. 
So we're not alone. Furthermore, he didn't leave us alone either. As it says in John 16. But in fact, and this was talking to the disciples as well shortly before his death, but in fact it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So we're called to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. But he goes with us and the convicting and conversion is his job, not ours. Okay, so what can I do to banish the demons, and that's probably literally holding me back from getting on with this command? Firstly, I can change my thinking. And specifically, I've talked about my fear of that word preach, or saying, I'm a preacher. We're all preachers. We're commanded to. As you know, and I've proven it already many times, I'm no scholar of the Bible, and guess what? Another fear thing. I run a million miles from academia and formal learning. I'm not John Sark. But if I'm going to change my thinking, I need to change my thinking. So I looked up the root of the word preach, and fortunately, people more intelligent than me have helped me with this. Preach, apparently, if I get the pronunciation wrong, I don't know what language it is, sorry, please forgive me. But preach is cariso, cariso, which means to be a herald, or to summon by a herald, to proclaim, to call upon, to announce, to declare, and to command publicly. Only in the New Testament, apparently, is it translated as preach or teach publicly. So that's preach. That gives me a different perspective on this word preach. And we all know that the gospel, I wasn't sure which translation would come up. You actually read the gospel. Um, I think in New Living Translation and others, it says the good news. We all know that gospel is simply the good news, okay? So the good news of Jesus, peace and reconciliation by his atoning sacrifice, the grace of free and full pardon by his blood and of justification by his righteousness and of complete salvation by him. So I'm not trying to rewrite scripture, but I'm trying to help myself change my thinking and get on with this command. So if you'll allow me, I'm going to rephrase it as I'm called to share the good news with everyone I meet. Okay? That feels a bit more doable. Newly emboldened, <laughs> I resolved to try this out uh, on my unknowing and, dare I say, unwilling victims last night. Um, my old mates Ian and Len, over a pint or two at the Kong Club in Kinver, followed by a curry at the always excellent Kinver Tandoori. Um, and as Ian and Len pumped me for a summary of what I was going to say to you today, I went sort of all Nicky Gumble on them and I was trying to recount the arguments from the Alpha course. <laughs> I mean, after all, Alpha, they're responsible for sort of, you know, thousands of converts by now. 
guess what? <laughs> it was an absolute car crash. <laughs> I'll share with another of my sides, I'll share from uh, them in a moment, actually, because they texted me just before I got up here with impeccable God timing. Um, speaking of car crashes, that's exactly the point, isn't it? Um, I don't wish to get too morbid here, but I've been really convicted since I was assigned this talk subject that that's exactly what too many dear friends and family members are headed for. And I ask you, if there was a 60-ton truck bearing down on anyone, you'd let them know, wouldn't you? How much more someone you love. So if you believe that God exists and that there's a heaven and hell, how much do you have to hate somebody not to preach the gospel? Not to share the good news? Sadly, but not surprisingly, I'm in that position. And I'm sure many, let's be honest, probably every single one of you here today is in that position. Whether it's my mates Ian and Len, or my kids Ella and Oscar, or my parents, or my brothers and sisters, if I'm not sharing the good news, then who will? And if not now, then when? After the car crash? So, last night's car crash, it's back to the drawing board with my preaching the gospel, my sharing the good news. I'm not Nicky Gumbel. So stop trying to be. I'm Mark Triggs. Hey! <laughs> Marvellous and wonderfully complex. As Psalm 139 puts it, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvellous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born, Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. This is what God has just done with Eva Grace. This is what God has done with every single one of you. He made you for a purpose. He made me to be me, even as I'm sharing the good news with whoever I meet, as this command requires. So... Why not try being me? And leave marvellously and wonderfully complex Nicky Gumbel to be Nicky Gumbel. Um, speaking of which, little pitch, little advert. We're running an Alpha course again this autumn. It starts on Tuesday the 15th of September. Aren't we organised? You've got more than six months' notice. So start thinking now who your Ella's or Oscars, or Lens, or Ian's are? Which loved ones who are headed for a car crash that you want to share your good news with? You know them better than anyone. 
You know the environments that they warm to and those that they'll instantly shut down within as well. So talk to me or Graham or anyone else if you want to create that safe space in a different way. Thirdly, in terms of me, how do I go about this overcoming my, the barriers and the fears? Let's be honest, if we've got good news to share, at least be smiley, happy, hopeful, positive and optimistic with it. In this age of coronavirus and plummeting stock markets and biblical floods and the like, if we join the throngs of doom mongers, who's ever going to believe that we've got some good news? Oh, I've got some really great news. Whereas a smiley, happy, hopeful, positive and optimistic demeanour amid all the gloom will shine light into people's lives. So it appears I can be me and I can return to the sermons that I wanted to give originally, Graham. After all, of loving one another and loving our neighbour as ourselves and share the good way, good news, I beg you, beg your pardon, share the good news in a manner that befits a guy with good news. You know, I can be me with them and share it in that way. After all, uh, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's John 13. You and I are called to share the good news. As it says in Romans 10, uh, verses 14 to 18, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And believe me, God will honour you. God will honour me. He will honour those who share his good news. That's why the scriptures say, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. So I'd like us, perhaps close your eyes if you want, but just to take a minute silence or so. And I want you to consider, who do you want to share the good news with? Who is God calling you to spare from the coming car crash? How authentically do you come across as a bearer of good news? How does God want to use you uniquely in this life or death task? And remember, it's not about you, it's about him.
Abba Father, precious Jesus, wonderful counselor, I thank you that you love us with an agape so pure and brilliant that we can only wonder at its brilliance. Equip, empower, and embolden us to share your good news with unbridled joy with everyone we meet, today and every day. Amen. I said I was going to share this. The other thought that came to my mind was about um, Psalm 139 that I shared from. Read it from the beginning, actually. And it was as you finished, Charles, or one of the, the passages you shared. But it is how intimately God knows every single one of us and that he's always there, even when it doesn't feel like it. But Len and Ian, they're going love listening to this. It's great. Um, I had a text from them. 10.16, this was from Len. Lovely to spend time with you both last night. Great conversation. To be continued. Thumbs up emoji. And Ian, great to see you last night, Mark. Sending best wishes for your preaching this morning, Ian. So watch out, Ian and Len. I'm coming for you and I'm ready for round two. <laughs>